Very, very lovely day here in the city of Chicago. It was raining like hell yesterday, but it's it's uh, uh, totally, totally a different day, a different time, and it is so beautiful. I think it's hitting 90. Yeah, 90. Um, so close to the end of summer, and it's still hitting 90 in the city of Chicago, and wherever you are in the world, I hope everything's going well for you, and you, your weather... Uh, the weather you're having is just as great as the weather we're having here in the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois. And you're listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show, WTTTY, Lock Talk Radio. I usually don't use those call letters. People, what's TTTY? Is it witty? Uh, anyway, um, you might have heard uh, uh, Hot Mike <laughs> at the introduction of the show. I was just uh, reading something here on Facebook, and it seems like to to be legit. Uh, Trump told one of the survivors of the Florence uh, uh, hurricane a few days ago that at least, I'm quoting here, at least you got a good, at least you have a nice boat out of the deal. At least you have a, at least you got a, it's hard to quote Trump. It really is because he doesn't know how to use language. He doesn't know how to use simple uh, sentences. I mean, it, it makes you want to say, wow, that word is in the wrong place. That should be capitalized. That should be a, an apostrophe S. That should uh, be replaced. That word should be replaced with another word. It's tough. It's tough to, to uh, read Trump. But anyway, I'm going to quote him. At least you got a nice boat out of the deal. This is what he's saying to, unquote, this is what he's saying uh, to a survivor of this horrific hurricane that was uh, uh, on the East Coast a few days ago, Florence. And uh, <laughs> you might have heard me giggling at the uh, beginning of the show. It, it was just something so unbelievable believable coming out of his mouth. Trump doesn't know how to talk. He doesn't, know, he doesn't have any sympathy. He doesn't know how to uh, feel sorry or feel... Uh, uh, remorse for someone who's lost everything. He just don't know how to. He doesn't know how to use the right words, and it's just not him. The guy is seventy-two years old. You can't change him. He's he is what he is. Trump is what he is. Seventy-two, maybe seventy-three, going on seventy-three. I don't know. Uh, anyway, he is in his seventies, and um, a lot of people say he's mentally ill, dementia, and. and he is. Trump, there is something wrong there. You can tell when you look at him at his rallies and the kind of crap that comes out of his mouth every day and what he wants to do to America, destroy it. So anyway, that's, that's the lead into the George Wilder Jr. show that Trump's telling a Florence survivor over here uh, on the East Coast that at least you have a nice boat out of the deal. That's as sympathetic as he can get. You have a nice boat. Apparently, probably the boat doesn't. <laughs> a nice boat. All right, everybody. <laughs> These people have lost everything. They lost their, some lives have been lost, their property, their homes, their loved ones have been. And all he can say is, at least you got a good boat out of the deal. I mean, every time something comes out of Trump's mouth, it just comes out backwards. It comes out totally, totally backwards. Anyway, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. 
And uh, it is a beautiful day in the city of Chicago. It is a beautiful day all over the place. And uh, we've had a good time today before we came on on the air. And my guest is Susan Matthews, author Susan Matthews. Let's see what that's going to be about. Anyway, uh, you know what I was looking at? I was looking at buying some books, buying some more books, not buying my not buying my own books. I don't do that. Uh, the only time I buy one of my own books or one of my own stories is when I don't have a copy. But I'm never going to buy my own book in a in a batch, you know, uh, like some authors do. Some authors, in order to get their books to be n- number one seller on the New York Times bestseller list, they buy their own books, especially Republicans. And to make their books number one, they buy their own books. That's something I would never do. If I buy a book, my own books, uh, I'll buy them in order for me to give them away or sell them. You know, I'm not going to buy my own books and have them sit down in the basement somewhere. <laughs> I don't, I don't do that. Uh, it's, it's a lot of books online that are free. I mean, you know, free, you know, and it's a lot of books online that are 99 cents and all that kind of thing. And some are exactly free. And some of this stuff is good. I purchased some of it. I, I purchased some of these 99 books or, and uh, books that are free, it's just it's just uh, one of those things. It's just one of those things. You know, I have some stuff online that's ninety nine cents, but that's <laughs> you know what? As an author, I always felt as an author, you shouldn't be you should not be selling your hard work for pennies. For literally nothing. And I believe in that. I mean, if you're working on a book for almost a year, why would you want to put it, publish it, and have it put on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles or some of these other book sites for just 99 cents? I don't care even if it's a short story. If it's something that's compelling and gripping, what the hell? 99 cents. You're not going to make any money off of 99 cents. I mean, things are – inflation – is happening happening every single day. Everything is going up. Why in the hell would you sell a book for 99 cents? Put a price on it. Majority of the time, when people think a book is 99 cents, they think it isn't shit. I mean, because if it was a great book or a good book, why would it be 99 cents? It would be a lot more than 99 cents. But you got so many people out here saying, hey, if you want to sell a lot of books, keep your books as low as possible. Keep the prices that's bullshit. If you want to sell a lot of books, you raise the price on your book. Because people are going to see your book. If you if they see your book is 99 cents or 2.99, they may figure, what the hell? Why am I buying this for 2.99? You know, when I can go get a uh, another book by someone for 14 bucks. It's, you know what it is? It's all in what you're writing. It's all in how you're offering it. And it's all in who you are. People will buy what you produce if they know who you are. I mean, you can have the greatest book in the world. It could be one of those books that, that needs to be put on a pedestal in the author's hall of fame somewhere. It could be a great book. You could have spent six months, a year on this book, and it's a beautiful book, but no one will know that book is there unless you tell them 
it's there. You have to build an audience. You have to, and you have to have an audience that know you and trust you. You before you can sell a book. Nobody's going to go buy your book if they don't know who the hell you are, and, and they, and, and they will not care what that book is about. If they don't know who you are, if you, uh, they don't know anything about you, you haven't contacted them, you haven't told them anything. Why would anybody go and buy your book? They're not going to do that because nobody cares. If you wrote a book or not, they don't give a damn because it's, so, it's, a, it's a trillion books out here, and so many of, of them are readily available at 99 cents and at, for free for nothing. Why would they go and pay 14 bucks for your book when they can get something similar for cheaper or a lot cheaper or just free? But people will buy your books. They will buy what you are selling if they know you, if they trust you. And if they like you, they don't give a damn if your book is three pages long. They will spend $10 on it because they like you and they support you. It's a fickle world. It's a fickle. Uh, uh, people are fickle. You know, I mean, you could you can have a book, book like just as good as the book Bob Wood book, excuse me, Bob Woodward's book. 14 uh, 95. No, and the only reason why people purchased Bob made his book a be- bestseller is because they knew him. They know him. They've been knowing him since 30, 40 years. They've known him. You've got to get people. I mean, you don't have to have people know you that long to, to, to have someone to go buy your book or people to go buy your book or make your book number one or tell you that you're a great writer and stuff like that. You just have to um, you just have to um, Engage people. You have to engage them. And you have to, and, and in some cases, you have to let people find you. You have to give uh, out the, the kind of uh, uh, writing and news stories that have people to find you. That's, I think that's the best way of getting someone to purchase a book of yours or to go even check out a book that you've written. I think you have to have people looking for you instead of you going out there looking for them they must be looking for you but you can give them the tools to find you for instance i have this radio show i can i can plug every book i've got every day from until the day this show is uh, no longer on i can plug my books every day every day every day all the time see i'm taking my books to the people and that's not going to always get someone to go to my website Someone may come to my – someone may turn on my, my radio show and say, wow, we like this guy. Let's check him out. Let's go check out his books on Amazon without even me saying anything about that because if they like what you do, they're going to uh, check out you further. They're going to further check you out if they like what you do. If, you, if you're on the radio show, if you're on television and they like what you do, they like what you're saying, they support you, they're going to uh, uh, research you and find out more about you. Uh, wow, he's an author. Let me go check his books out. Oh, this sounds good. Bing. Download a book. All right. Uh, <laughs> like I said, folks, it's, it's, it's a good day, and I feel good, and uh, it, it's all good and everything. And uh, this is the George Wilder Jr. Show, and my guest is Susan Matthews. Uh, we're going to have plenty of commentary on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Hate lies have no homes. 
here, and they don't. Strive to be kind to one another. Trying to quit something before you have something to replace it with is stupid. There are so many people out here quit their jobs and do not have anything to replace it with. If you're going to quit your job, do not quit your job until you are sure you have something else to replace it with. Yeah, because I think we've all we've all made that mistake sometime somewhere down in in our lives that we just fuck this, I'm leaving. <laughs> you quit a job, you know, and uh you know, you wind up uh, without one there's going to be a hell of a lot of uh, you have a lot of problems put it that way all righty the george wilder jr show is now on the air ashley judd Stupid fucking slut. You can't sue someone for calling them a cunt. If you can't handle the internet, fuck off, whore. I wish Ashley Judd would die a horrible death. She is the absolute worst. Ashley Judd, you're the reason women shouldn't vote. Twisted is such a bad movie, I don't even want to rape it. What the hell is she talking about? Whatever you do, don't tell Ashley Judge she'll die alone with a dried-out vagina. If I had to fuck an older woman, oh my God, I would fuck the shit out of Ashley Judd. That bitch is hot AF. The unforgivable shit I would do to her. Online misogyny is a global gender rights tragedy, and it is imperative that it ends. Women's voices and our allies' voices are constrained in ways that are personally, economically, professionally, and politically damaged. And when we curb abuse, we will expand freedom. I am a Kentucky basketball fan, so on a fine March day last year, I was doing one of the things I do best. I was cheering for my Wildcats. The daffodils were blooming, but the referees were not blowing the whistle when I was telling them to. Funny, they're very friendly to me before the opening tip, but they really ignore me during the game. Three of my players were bleeding, so I did the next best thing. I tweeted. It is routine for me to be treated in the ways I've already described to you. It happens to me every single day on social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook. Since I joined Twitter in 2011, misogyny and misogynists have amply demonstrated they will dog my every step. My spirituality, my faith, being a hillbilly, I can say that, you can't, all of it is fair game. And I have responded to this with various strategies. I've tried engaging people. This one guy was sending me hyper sexual, nasty stuff, and there was a girl in his avatar, and I wrote him back and said, is that your daughter? I feel a lot of fear that you may think about and talk to women this way. And he surprised me by saying, you know what, you're right, I apologize. Sometimes people want to be held accountable. 
This one guy was musing to I don't know who, that maybe I was the definition of a cunt. I was married to a Scot for 14 years, so I said, cunt means many different things in different countries. But I'm pretty sure you epitomize the global standard of a dick. I've tried to rise above it, I've tried to get in the trenches, but mostly I would scroll through these social media platforms with one eye partially closed, trying not to see it, but you can't make a cucumber out of a pickle. What is seen goes in, it's traumatic. And I was always secretly hoping in some part of me that what was being said to me and about me wasn't true. Because even I, an avowed, self-declared feminist, who worships at the altar of Gloria, <laughs> internalize the patriarchy. This is really critical. Patriarchy is not boys and men. It is a system in which we all participate, including me. On that particular day, for some reason, that particular tweet after the basketball game triggered something called a cyber mob, this vitriolic, global outpouring of the most heinous hate speech, death threats, rape threats. And don't you know, when I was sitting at home alone in my nightgown, I got a phone call, and it was my beloved former husband, and he said on a voicemail, loved one, what is happening to you is not okay. And there was something about him taking a stand for me that night that allowed me to take a stand for myself, and I started to write. I started to write about sharing the fact that I'm a survivor of all forms of sexual abuse, including three rapes, and the hate speech I get in response to that. These are just some of the comments posted to news outlets. What it is? Being told I'm a snitch is really fun. Thank you, Jesus. May your grace and mercy shine. So I wrote this feminist op-ed. It is entitled, Forget Your Team. It is your online gender violence toward girls and women that can kiss my righteous ass. <laughs> and I did that alone, and I published it alone, because my chief advisor said, please don't. The rain of retaliatory garbage that is inevitable, I fear for you. But I trust girls, and I trust women, and I trust our allies. It was published. It went viral. It proves that every single day, online misogyny is a phenomenon endured by us all, all over the world. And when it is intersectional, it is worse. Sexual orientation, gender identity, race, ethnicity, religion, you name it, it amplifies the violence endured by girls and women. And for our younger girls, it is worse. It's clearly traumatizing. Our mental health, our emotional well-being are so gravely affected because the threat of violence is experienced neurobiologically as violence. The cortisol shoots up. The limbic system gets fired. We lose productivity at work. And let's talk about work. Our ability to work is constrained. Online searches of women applying for jobs reveal nude pictures of them, false allegations, they have STDs, their addresses indicating that they are available for sex. With real examples of people showing up at this house for said sex. Our ability to go to school is impaired. 
96% of all postings of sexual images in our young people, girls, our girls, our boys, are two to three times more likely non-consensually to share images. And I want to say a word about revenge porn. Part of what came out of this tweet was my getting connected with allies and other activists who are fighting for a safe and free internet. We started something called the Speech Project, curbing abuse, expanding freedom, and that website provides a critical forum because there is no global legal thing to help us figure this out. But we do provide on that website a standardized list of definitions because it's hard to attack a behavior in the right way if we're not all sharing a definition of what that behavior is. And I learned that revenge porn is often dangerously misapplied. It is the non-consensual sharing of an image used tactically to shame and humiliate a girl or woman that attempts to pornography us. Our natural sexuality is, I don't know about yours, pretty gorgeous and wonderful. And my expressing it does not pornography make. So I have all these resources that I'm keenly aware so many people in the world do not. I was able to start the speech project with colleagues. I can often get a social media company's attention. I have a wonderful visit to Facebook HQ coming up. Hasn't helped the idiotic reporting standards yet. I actually pay someone to scrub my social media feeds attempting to spare my brain the daily iterations of the trauma of hate speech. And guess what? I get hate speech for that. Oh, you live in an echo chamber. Well, guess what? Having someone post a photograph of me with my mouth open saying they can't wait to come on my face, I have a right to set that boundary. And this distinction between virtual and real is specious because guess what? That actually happened to me once when I was a child. And so that tweet brought up that trauma and I had to do work on that. But you know what we do? We take all of this hate speech and we disaggregate it and we code it and we give that data so that we understand the intersectionality of it. You know, when I get porn, when it's about political affiliation, when it's about age, when it's about all of it. We're going to win this fight. There are a lot of solutions. Thank goodness. I'm going to offer just a few. And of course, I challenge you to create and contribute your own. Number one, we have to start with digital media literacy. And clearly, it must have a gendered lens. Kids, schools, caregivers, parents, it's essential. Two. Shall we talk about our friends in tech? Said with dignity and respect, the sexism in your workplaces must end. EDGE, the global standard for gender equality, is the minimum standard in, guess what, Silicon Valley, if L'Oreal in India, in the Philippines, in Brazil, and in Russia can do it, you can too. Enough excuses. 
Only when women have critical mass in every department at your companies, including building platforms from the ground up, will the conversations about priorities and solutions change. And more love for my friends in tech, profiteering off misogyny and video games must end. I'm so tired of hearing you talk to me at cocktail parties, like you did a couple weeks ago in Aspen, about how deplorable hashtag Gamergate was when you're still making billions of dollars off games that maim and dump women for sport. Basta, as the Italians would say. Enough. Our friends in law enforcement have much to do because we've seen that online violence is an extension of in-person violence. In our country, more girls and women have been murdered by their intimate partners than died on 9-11 and have died since in Afghanistan and Iraq combined. And it's not cool to say that, but it is true. We care so much geopolitically about what men are doing over there to women over there, in 2015, 72,828 women used intimate partner violence services in this country. That is not counting the girls and women and boys who needed them. Law enforcement must be empowered with up-to-date internet technology, the devices, and an understanding of these platforms, how they work. The police wanted to be helpful when Amanda Hess called about the death threat she was getting on Twitter, but they couldn't really when they said, what's Twitter? Our legislators must write and pass astute legislation that reflects today's technology and our notions of free and hate speech. In New York recently, the law could not be applied to a perpetrator because the crimes must have been committed, even if it was anonymous, they must have been committed by telephone, in mail, by telegraph, <laughs> the language must be technologically neutral. So apparently, I've got a pretty bold voice. So let's talk about our friends, white men. You have a role to play and a choice to make. You can do something or you can do nothing. We're cool in this room, but when this goes out, everyone will say, oh my God, she's a reverse racist. That quote was said by a white man, Robert Morris, chairperson, Price Waterhouse Cooper. He asked me to include it in my talk. We need to grow support lines and help groups so victims can help each other when their lives and finances have been derailed. We must, as individuals, disrupt gender violence as it is happening 92% of young people, 29 and under, witness it. 72% of us have witnessed it. We must have the courage and urgency to practice stopping it as it is unfolding. And lastly, believe her. Believe her. This is fundamentally a problem of human interaction. And thus, I believe that human interaction is at the core of our healing. Trauma not transformed will be trauma transferred. Edith Wharton said the end is latent in the beginning, so we are going to end this talk replacing hate speech 
with love speech. Because I get lonely in this, but I know that we are allies. I recently learned about how gratitude and affirmations offset negative interactions. It takes five of those to offset one negative interaction. And gratitude in particular, free, available globally, anytime, anywhere, to anyone in any dialect. It fires the pregenual anterior singlet, a watershed part of the brain that floods it with great good stuff. So I'm going to say awesome stuff about myself. I would like for you to reflect it back to me. It might sound something like this. I am a powerful and strong woman, and you would say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. My mama loves me. Yes, she does. I did a great job with my talk. Yes, you did. I have a right to be here. Yes, you do. I'm really cute. <laughs> God does good work. Yes, he does. And I love you. Thank you so much for letting me be of service. Thank you, Ashley. The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. This is the talk of our times. The talk of our times. Let's talk, everybody. Broadcasting from Chicago. This is the talk of our times. The talk of our times. Let's talk, everybody. All right. Donald Trump says that he, says that he should have fired James Comey before becoming president. Okay. Now, just marinate on that for a while. Donald Trump says he should have fired James Comey before becoming president. Now, James Comey was the head of the FBI. He was in government. Could not have fired James Comey because he was not president. You see, the things that comes out of Trump's mouth says he should have fired James Comey before becoming president despite being a private citizen. See the, You see and you hear the dumb things that come out of his mouth. How in the hell could he have fired James Comey before he ran, was running for president when he wasn't president? is why we have to get rid of this man. <laughs> this, the craziness that comes out of his mouth, the stupidity, and he gets away with it. He gets away with it. He gets away with it to say something else that's dumb, stupid, and doesn't make any kind of sense. And then he goes on to say something else and something else and more uh, things that comes out of his mouth that doesn't make absolutely any sense at all. But that's Donald Trump. Trump responds to stuns AIDS. I mean, his, every time he opens him, it's his mouth, he stuns the people around him. And they know for a fact that this man is not mentally fit to be president of the United States. He's mentally ill. He has a mental problem. It comes out of his mouth. 
Trump is bragging about positive coverage for his tactical approach to the Kavanaugh accuser. Kavanaugh's accuser, sources say. Wow, this is another um, uh, something that he's saying or doing. It doesn't make any sense at all. I, you know, I think I think Trump is trying to change his change the way that we see him. I I, I believe that. I think. Donald Trump is trying to change the way we see him, and he's doing a mucked-up job at it. He's trying to change our perception of him. But Donald Trump is pure, classic Donald Trump. If Donald Trump tries to be anything else but Donald Trump, we will see through that immediately. Donald Trump cannot be no one else but who he is. And what he is, he's unfit for office. And he will always be unfit for office as long as he's, as long as he's in office. There's nothing he – because he, he hates Democrats. Because the reason why I say he hates Democrats is, is because he blames Democrats for every failing of his administration. It's always Democrats. It was the Democrats. And the Democrats ain't got a damn thing to do with it. They're waiting to take over Congress in a month or so. The midterms. That's what they're waiting. They're not Democrats aren't doing anything. They're not doing anything. Most of them not saying anything. They're just sitting back and waiting for the blue wave. Because it's going to happen. So Donald Trump is trying to maybe change the perception of how we see him because he doesn't want uh, a blue wave, because if he knows the Democrats, you know, get in, uh, it's going to be all over. He said it himself. He said of himself. He said, um, "Democrats, the Democrats are going to turn back everything I've done. Hopefully, they will, because everything he's done so far has been a wreck on America." So you know, uh, this guy. There, there's always something coming out of his mouth, and and, and you can always eat. He needs an editor, right? Okay, age quietly stunned by Trump's respectful handling of the Kavanaugh accuser. He's being respectful to this woman. Donald Trump has never been respectful to any woman in his entire life, not even his wife. But as I've said a moment ago, he's doing this because he wants people to try and get a better perception of him, that he's not the asshole that we all think and say he is. And I've said this, I'm going to say this again, Donald Trump cannot change his stripes. He is who he is. He's what he is. He can't change his stripes. And for his aides to say that that he's changing, he's treating this woman who has accused Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh, of sexual assault. He's treating this woman really kind. I mean, hey, it's not only stunning his AIDS, stunning his AIDS, but it's also stunning to America that Donald Trump would do something. He, Donald Trump might be nice to this woman that's trying to keep his nominee off the Supreme Court. But then the next day he'll come out swinging, whether he comes out verbally, verbally, or in some kind of a tweet. The White House aides has uh, who steal themselves for what Donald Trump would say when he finally addresses the sexual assault 
Donald Trump. He's going to be addressing uh, the sexual assault allegations against the Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. Now, how in the hell can Donald Trump be addressing sexual assaults against someone else and not himself? Wow. But some people were quietly stunned when Trump said the process should be allowed and let the uh, accuser should be heard. That now that really is stunning that Donald Trump would want a sexual harasser like himself to be heard. But the only reason why Donald Trump is still in office being a sexual harasser is because he's president and the Justice Department has guidelines that saying a sitting president cannot be indicted. That's the only reason why Donald Trump is still there. And obviously he could be impeached, but we know that the Republican Congress, a bunch of old ass men, uh, will not allow that to happen because a lot of them are probably tied in with the Russia investigation and money laundering. So they're not going to do anything about that. And I've said many times, many times, uh, this upcoming uh, midterm election, and it's it's coming pretty fast, uh, vote all Republicans out, period. Vote them all out. Whether it's federal, state, city, local, vote them all out. Every Republican around America should be voted out on their asses or should not be voted in. Do not vote them in. They should not be voted in office, period. They don't deserve it. They fucked it up. And all they're going to do is fuck it up more if we elect these people. We can't have this. We cannot have this. So vote all of them out. Everywhere. Governors, vote them out. And, and America can do this. America can do this because there's so many of us. There's 320 million Americans Americans in the United States. Now tell me we can't do this. We're not all rich. We're not all we're not all well educated, but we can go to the polls and change things, take back our country from these mongrels, from these hateful as Republicans. Donald Trump. Yeah, this this is this is bad. This is bad. Everything, every day Donald Trump wakes up, I'm pretty sure someone hands him something to where he can go and say something stupid or try to screw up the country a little bit more. Or try to scare people. Or try to distract people. But I don't think there's no one who is stupid enough to be distracted by Donald Trump's distractions. Because as I've said before, his distractions are not they're just piling up one by one, one by one. His his crap is piling up one by one. A stack of, you know, in a corner or something. Everything, stack of papers or research or whatever. You know, it just stacks up on him to make him the worst president ever uh, in America that has ever been in America. He says dumb the Republicans just blow it off. But but us Americans, we take it serious because it's dangerous. Republicans just, oh, that's just Trump being Trump. 
yeah, it's Trump being Trump, and while the whole world is watching, good. It's not good. And I'll say this again, the, re, uh, the entire world is laughing at Donald Trump. They're not totally uh, laughing and, and being amused by the American people. They're, they are laughing at Donald Trump. Remember, Trump cannot, Trump cannot uh, borrow money within the United States. Bad credit. Six bankruptcies. Trump University. A fake school, a fake uh, uh, university, stumping people for their money. I mean, go back and research Donald Trump if you don't know anything about him, and it's all bad. All bad. He should not have been president. I mean, he is implicated in two federal crimes uh, admitted by his own lawyer, his best friend, his fixer, the person he in charge of doing everything. But yet the Republicans will not investigate that because if they they know if they investigate it, they will find something and they don't want to impeach Trump. Why? Because they will lose power. They will they will lose power if they impeached him. But if, if they decide to impeach Donald Trump right now before the midterms, they would save a little face right now. They are going to be wiped out. Their whole party is going to go down in flames with this blue wave that's about to hit. They're going to go down in flames, and they will never be elected back into office. Let's say if the Democrats do win uh, both houses or one house, but we would prefer both houses. That way we can really take down Donald Trump. He can be impeached. But let's say if the Democrats do win and take both houses, the Republicans are going to be yelling and screaming and screaming and yelling that this was taking place, uh, this was unethical, that that the vote count wasn't right. They're going to be screaming all over the fucking place, and nobody should pay any attention to them because they're out here right now gerrymandering all over the place, probably in every state there is. In America, gerrymandering means that they're they're trying to uh, uh, fix their districts, twist their district around so they can win. That's cheating. And the, and federal judges have told them many times they can't do that. But the Republicans, like Donald Trump, think they're above the law. The hell with it. We're going to do it anyway. So it it's it's imperative. And I I say this every day on the show that. We get out here and do our thing. We uh, get out here and we vote and we vote and we vote and we vote. We vote them all out. I mean, in every corner of the world and in every aspect, federal, state, city, local, whatever it is. If it's a Republican, if if they're running for your local school council, do not vote for them or vote them out. As we know, if, if, if they're running for your local school council, uh, a Republican, they may be on the side of Betsy DeVos uh, because she is in that department uh, all to destroy the Department of Education. She's there only for destruction. Uh, I believe Trump also, uh, Trump uh, 
I talked about this yesterday, Ben Carson, the Department of HUD, housing. He's there for one thing only, to destroy it. And Trump is saying that he's going to uh, – the Republicans are saying that they're going to cut entitlement programs. They keep calling Social Security an entitlement program. They're going to cut all of these programs to try to uh, balance the budget, uh, fill in a deficit hole or something. The thing about this is they're the ones who caused it. Now they want you and I to pay for it when they – when they are the ones who screwed everything up. They are the ones who screwed it all up, but now they want us to pay for it. I don't know how that is going to go. I don't know how we're going to deal with that. We're just going to have to vote, people. We have to get out there and do our thing. We have to vote. Yeah. I'm here today to talk about a disturbing question, which has an equally disturbing answer. My topic is the secrets of domestic violence. And the question I'm going to tackle is the one question everyone always asks. Why does she stay? Why would anyone stay with a man who beats her? I'm not a psychiatrist, a social worker, or an expert in domestic violence. I'm just one woman with a story to tell. I was 22. I had just graduated from Harvard College. I'd moved to New York City for my first job as a writer and editor at Seventeen Magazine. I had my first apartment, my first little green American Express card, and I had a very big secret. My secret was that I had this gun loaded with hollow-point bullets pointed at my head by the man who I thought was my soulmate many, many times. The man who I loved more than anybody on earth held a gun to my head and threatened to kill me more times than I can even remember. I'm here to tell you the story of crazy love, a psychological trap disguised as love, one that millions of women and even a few men fall into every year. It may even be your story. I don't look like a typical domestic violence survivor. I have a BA in English from Harvard College, an MBA in marketing from Wharton Business School. I spent most of my career working for Fortune 500 companies, including Johnson & Johnson, Leo Burnett, and The Washington Post. I've been married for almost 20 years to my second husband, and we have three kids together. My dog is a black lab, and I drive a Honda Odyssey minivan. (laughs) So my first message for you is that domestic violence happens to everyone. All races, all religions, all income and education levels. It's everywhere. And my second message is that everyone thinks domestic violence happens to women, that it's a women's issue. Not exactly. Over 85% of abusers are men. And domestic abuse happens only in intimate, interdependent, long-term relationships. In other words, in families the last place we would want or expect to find violence, which is one reason domestic abuse is so confusing. 
I would have told you myself that I was the last person on earth who would stay with a man who beats me. But in fact, I was a very typical victim because of my age. I was 22. And in the United States, women ages 16 to 24 are three times as likely to be domestic violence victims as women of other ages. And over 500 women and girls this age are killed every year by abusive partners, boyfriends and husbands in the United States. I was also a very typical victim because I knew nothing about domestic violence, its warning signs or its patterns. I met Connor on a cold, rainy January night. He sat next to me on the New York City subway, and he started chatting me up. He told me two things. One was that he, too, had just graduated from an Ivy League school and that he worked at a very impressive Wall Street bank. But what made the biggest impression on me that first meeting was that he was smart and funny, and he looked like a farm boy. He had these big cheeks, these big apple cheeks and this wheat blonde hair, and he seemed so sweet. One of the smartest things Connor did from the very beginning was to create the illusion that I was the dominant partner in the relationship. He did this, especially at the beginning, by idolizing me. We started dating, and he loved everything about me, that I was smart, that I'd gone to Harvard, that I was passionate about helping teenage girls and my job. He wanted to know everything about my family and my childhood, my hopes and dreams. Connor believed in me as a writer and a woman in a way that no one else ever had. And he also created a magical atmosphere of trust between us by confessing his secret, which was that as a very young boy starting at age four, he had been savagely and repeatedly physically abused by his stepfather. And the abuse had gotten so bad that he had had to drop out of school in eighth grade, even though he was very smart. And he'd spent almost 20 years rebuilding his life, which is why that Ivy League degree and the Wall Street job and his bright, shiny future meant so much to him. If you had told me that this smart, funny, sensitive man who adored me would one day dictate whether or not I wore makeup, how short my skirts were, where I lived, what jobs I took, who my friends were, and where I spent Christmas, I would have laughed at you. Because there was not a hint of violence or control or anger in Connor at the beginning. I didn't know that the first stage in any domestic violence relationship is to seduce and charm the victim. I also didn't know that the second step is to isolate the victim. Now, Connor did not come home one day and announce, you know, hey, this, all this Romeo and Juliet stuff has been great, but I need to move into the next phase where I isolate you and I abuse you. So I need to get you out of this apartment where the neighbors can hear you scream and out of this city where you have friends and family and coworkers who can see the bruises. Instead, Connor came home one Friday evening and he told me that he had quit his job that day, his dream job. And he said that he had quit his job because of me, because I had made him feel so safe and loved that he didn't need to prove himself on Wall Street anymore. And he just wanted to get out of the city and away from his abusive, dysfunctional family and move to a tiny town in New England 
where he could start his life over with me by his side. Now, the last thing I wanted to do was leave New York and my, my dream job. But I thought you made sacrifices for your soulmate. So I agreed, and I quit my job, and Connor and I left Manhattan together. I had no idea I was falling into crazy love, that I was walking headfirst into a carefully laid physical, financial, and psychological trap. The next step in the domestic violence pattern is to introduce the threat of violence and see how she reacts. And here's where those guns come in. As soon as we moved to New England, you know that place where Connor was supposed to feel so safe? He bought three guns. He kept one in the glove compartment of our car. He kept one under the pillows on our bed. And the third one he kept in his pocket at all times. And he said that he needed those guns because of the trauma he'd experienced as a young boy. He needed them to feel protected. But those guns were really a message for me. And even though he hadn't raised a hand to me, my life was already in grave danger every minute of every day. Connor first physically attacked me five days before our wedding. It was 7 a.m. I still had on my nightgown. I was working on my computer trying to finish a freelance writing assignment, and I got frustrated. And Connor used my anger as an excuse to put both of his hands around my neck and to squeeze so tightly that I could not breathe or scream. And he used the chokehold to hit my head repeatedly against the wall. Five days later, the ten bruises on my neck had just faded, and I put on my mother's wedding dress, and I married him. Despite what had happened, I was sure we were going to live happily ever after. Because I loved him, and he loved me so much. And he was very, very sorry. He had just been really stressed out by the wedding and by becoming a family with me. It was an isolated incident, and he was never going to hurt me again. It happened twice more on the honeymoon. The first time, I was driving to find a secret beach, and I got lost. And he punched me in the side of my head so hard that the other side of my head repeatedly hit the driver's side window. And then a few days later, driving home from our honeymoon, he got frustrated by traffic, and he threw a cold Big Mac in my face. Connor proceeded to beat me once or twice a week for the next two and a half years of our marriage. I was mistaken in thinking that I was unique and alone in this situation. One in three American women experiences domestic violence or stalking at some point in her life. And the CDC reports that 15 million children are abused every year. 15 million. So actually, I was in very good company. Back to my question. Why did I stay? The answer is easy. I didn't know he was abusing me. Even though he held those loaded guns to my head, pushed me downstairs, threatened to kill our dog, pulled the key out of the car ignition as I drove down the highway, poured coffee grinds on my head as I dressed for a job interview. I never once thought of myself as a battered wife. Instead, I was a very strong woman in love with a deeply troubled man, 
and I was the only person on earth who could help Connor face his demons. The other question everybody asks is, why doesn't she just leave? Why didn't I walk out? I could have left any time. To me, this is the saddest and most painful question that people ask. Because we victims know something you usually don't. It's incredibly dangerous to leave an abuser. Because the final step in the domestic violence pattern is kill her. Over 70% of domestic violence murders happen after the victim has ended the relationship, after she's gotten out, because then the abuser has nothing left to lose. Other outcomes include long-term stalking, even after the abuser remarries, denial of financial resources, and manipulation of the family court system to terrify the victim and her children, who are regularly forced by family court judges to spend unsupervised time with the man who beat their mother. And still we ask, why doesn't she just leave? I was able to leave because of one final sadistic beating that broke through my denial. I realized that the man who I loved so much was going to kill me if I let him. So I broke the silence. I told everyone. The police, my neighbors, my friends and family, total strangers. And I'm here today because you all helped me. We tend to stereotype victims as grisly headlines, self-destructive women, damaged goods. The question, why does she stay, is code for some people for it's her fault for staying. As if victims intentionally choose to fall in love with men intent upon destroying us. But since publishing Crazy Love, I have heard hundreds of stories from men and women who also got out, who learned an invaluable life lesson from what happened, and who rebuilt lives, joyous, happy lives, as employees, wives, and mothers, lives completely free of violence, like me. Because it turns out that I'm actually a very typical domestic violence victim and a typical domestic violence survivor. I remarried a kind and gentle man. We have those three kids. I have that black lab, and I have that minivan. What I will never have again, ever, is a loaded gun held to my head by someone who says that he loves me. Now, right now, maybe you're thinking, wow, this is fascinating. Or, wow, how stupid was she? But this whole time, I've actually been talking about you. I promise you, there are several people listening to me right now who are currently being abused, or who were abused as children, or who are abusers themselves. Abuse could be affecting your daughter, your sister, your best friend, right now. I was able to end my own crazy love story by breaking the silence. I'm still breaking the silence today. It's my way of helping other victims. And it's my final request of you. Talk about what you heard here 
Abuse thrives only in silence. You have the power to end domestic violence simply by shining a spotlight on it. We victims need everyone. We need every one of you to understand the secrets of domestic violence. Show abuse the light of day by talking about it with your children, your coworkers, your friends and family. Recast survivors as wonderful, lovable people with full futures. Recognize the early signs of violence and conscientiously intervene, de-escalate it, show victims a safe way out. Together, we can make our beds, our dinner tables, and our families the safe and peaceful oases they should be. Thank you.
pinned her on the bed and groped her. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh's the guy who the Republicans want to put on the Supreme Court. Uh, his nomination or, or, or his uh, sitting on the Supreme Court has hit a big snag. This woman has come out uh, for it. Uh, we talked about her yesterday. And if you're following this, you know who, who I'm talking about. Uh, uh, Kavanaugh um, is the guy who wants to sit on the Supreme Court and change our lives for the worst. And it looks like it may not happen. Because this woman has come out and said uh, that he uh, pinned her down on the bed and then he groped her. This was in high school. But if they can go back this far on Bill Cosby 35 or 40 years ago and and nail Bill Cosby, they can go back and nail this guy to keep him from sitting on the Supreme Court and being a get-out-of-jail card for Donald Trump. This is all this guy is, a get-out-of-jail for Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump knows he's going to jail, whether he is a sitting president or, or, or either when he resigns, if he resigns, or when he just you know, becomes a private citizen. Because there's no way he's, he's going to get back in office. I've heard some people say, well, Donald Trump is going to be doing a second term. No, he's not. Donald Trump is through. He is through. He is done. And he knows it. He knows it. He knows that the only reason why he's in office, and I've said this a thousand times, is because the Republicans will not impeach him. There's another reason. Uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, no matter how much Jeff Sessions bully, uh, uh, no matter how much Donald Trump bully and assault Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions continues to kiss Donald Trump's ass. And, De- and Jeff Sessions continues to save Donald Trump's ass because they're saying that there's some kind of guideline uh, in the Department of Justice that uh, doesn't allow them to indict a sitting president. I think that's a bunch of bullshit. You know, uh, they should change the rules on this. This guy is a criminal. This guy is a fucking criminal. Republicans, they will not do anything about it. They will not investigate it. They will not impeach him. Why? Because they are complicit in this shit. They will be going to jail also. I'm pretty sure Mueller is looking at some of them. So when Donald Trump goes to jail, he's going to be taking some of those clowns with him uh, in Congress. But anyway, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, it seems to me that he will not be a support. They cannot put someone on here who has... uh, Sexual misconduct in his in his background in his background yeah uh, and I'm gonna read this again I'm getting this off Facebook I'm getting it off a viable website it's not fake news Kavanaugh's accuser comes out comes forward saying that uh, he pinned her down and he groped her and I'm I understand there may be a hearing on this on Monday I'm hearing that she backed out of it or she wants it uh, at a later date. Then Monday, I don't know. We just have to wait until uh, things uh, uh, things wind themselves out. Uh, it, it, but it's going to be something. This this is why I tell folks get the popcorn. This is good. <laughs> this is good. This is this is more than a movie. This is like a series. 
television series or something, or cable series, a stars or, or, or <laughs> HBO series. This is what this is. And it's a blockbuster. It is a blockbuster. Wow. And Trump is trying to say, Trump is saying, well, give her a chance. Let her talk. And she's talking. She's t- New York columnist defends Ford's with his own story. Okay, Ford lawyers say they are open to testifying, but not Monday. Okay? Okay, Senator, uh, Democrats will investigate Kavanaugh, even if he Senate, even if he sits, even if the Republicans try to sit him on the Supreme Court, Democrats will investigate him, and they will annul his election to the Supreme Court, which is good, which is good. And that's a great thing. Because the Republicans, they're going to sit this guy before the end of September. They're going to sit this guy. They're going to put him on the Supreme Court, even with all of his background, his baggage, his, his – he committing perjury, uh, uh, the sexual misconduct. Uh, they're going to investigate this great, and they're going to investigate Donald Trump. They're going to look at his taxes. They, all of this stuff is coming with the blue wave. Okay, the the Republicans, excuse me, the Republicans aren't going to do anything. Sit back and criticize the Democrats for what they're going to do uh, once they're in power and the blue wave has been cemented. You know, Uh, so uh, stay tuned. I I, I would say for everybody out there, stay tuned. This is not over. This is like some kind of a a bad horror movie that we're in, that we're living. I I always call it a, a nightmare that has become real live. <laughs> it's a real life uh, um, nightmare, and it is. Our says NBC News edited Lester Holt's exclusive interview. Here's the truth. All, all, obviously, they're lying. They're lying. If if it says here's the truth, uh, they're lying. I mean, Trump team lies all the time. They're going to be lying right up to the day that they get swept out of power, you know, and they're going to be lying <laughs> once they're, once they are private citizens, you know, uh, it, it is, it is awful. This, this is just awful. And I'm hearing Trump is saying, let her speak, let her speak, let her speak. And I say, let her speak. She's got something to say. Let her speak. Republicans don't want her to speak. They think she's lying. And in, in some cases, they don't even care if she's lying. They want this guy on the Supreme Court so he can change the way life is in the United States for all of us. And that's a negative. That's bad. But however, Democrats are saying if he somehow is placed on the Supreme Court with all of these allegations under his belt, they will investigate. And and if they find out a lot of these allegations are true, he will be taken off the Supreme Court and hopefully Donald Trump's election will be annulled. Yeah, hopefully his uh, uh, election will be annulled.
Yeah, folks, uh, the White House, uh, Dems will investigate Kavanaugh. Okay, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat, uh, says that if Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed, and as soon as Democrats get the gavels, they will get to the bottom of the sexual allegations against Kavanaugh. I've just got through saying that, and I just saw it on the screen here. And uh, for all intended purposes, they will annul this election of the Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. And if Donald Trump is investigated and, and it is found that Donald Trump fucked with the election, 2016 election, to get his ass in office, he will be thrown out of office. And I agree with Maxine Waters. Donald Trump is a con man, a snake oil salesman. He's no president. He's a liar. He's a <laughs> he's a crook. Uh, I mean, he's been these things all of his life before he even became president. But somehow he, excuse me, <coughs> found himself in the White House. A White House, it is alleged, he once called a dump. And I sort of believe that because... It sounds like Donald Trump. It's something out of Donald Trump's um, test um, playbook. It's something out of the the kind of person that he is. Dems are willing to investigate Kavanaugh as a Supreme Court justice if he is confirmed. I think this is the reason why Donald Trump is saying – this is why Donald Trump is saying being nice to her and saying that let her testify. Let her come through with it, you know. Uh, yeah, if he's put on the court, he will be testified, and if any of this stuff is true, he will be yanked off that court. Yeah, it's a position for life. Uh, being a Supreme Court justice is a uh, position for life. But if you if you're on the Supreme Court and it's found that you've been you're guilty of a felony, they can yank your ass off of there. So don't doesn't so folks. Slow down. If even if Kavanaugh is set, is nominated and is seated on the Supreme Court with a felony, possible felony under his belt, and he's being investigated, and if it, and if they find out that these uh, allegations have some merit, he will be yanked off that court, and this will be really, really bad for the Republicans. Because this is this is one thing one of the things that Republicans really really want to do. They want to sit Kavanaugh, Brent Kavanaugh, on the Supreme Court, so he can overthrow everything. And it's basically a get out of get out of jail card for Donald Trump. His job when he gets on the Supreme Court is to make sure that Donald Trump is above the law. That's his job. But his his job is in jeopardy. If he is set on that court, we will investigate him. And that's a great thing. So keep your fingers crossed, folks. Hopefully this guy will not get on the Supreme Court and change the way of life for you and me and those around America.
uh, nominee because it's going to be a long. Uh, he'll never get any peace if he tries or wins uh, or they confirm him to the Supreme Court. Democrats will, as I've said, they will uh, investigate him. Who knows? The FBI may be investigating him, but this is a lot on his plate. He could withdraw his nomination. He could withdraw his name and walk away and go back to wherever the hell he came from. But but if he chooses to stick around, Donald Trump is going to throw him under the bus. Donald Trump throws everybody under the bus to save his own ass because it seems like He's doing that right now. He's saying, well, we'll give this woman a chance. Let her speak. Let her talk. That's throwing Kavanaugh under the bus. No, <laughs> no one who thinks that Donald Trump, uh, no one who works for Donald Trump should ever think that Donald Trump is going to be on your side. Just because you're in the same party, you work, you work around each other, uh, you talk to each other, you laugh. But when the shit hits the fan, Donald Trump is going to be the first one to throw one of you guys under the bus. And it's been proven time and time and time again. And this is what Donald Trump is. He's looking out for his own self. Donald Trump is about Donald Trump. I mean, if you if you make him look good, if you say nice things about him, I mean, he I mean, he he'll give you the world if you make him, you know, but if something go wrong and you're involved you're under the bus and uh, look at all the people that he has uh, thrown under the bus who have gone to jail you know but as i've said before it's donald trump's time to go to jail i mean i work i wake up every morning thinking that somebody's going to say something i'm going to hear something read something that's saying donald trump has been arrested and kicked out of the white house and every morning that I wake up, that doesn't happen. I'm so disappointed. Like a million of other Americans, American people around here. You wake up, you want to hear that Donald Trump has been kicked out of the White House. He's going to jail. He's been indicted. Mullet's got him. You want to hear that, but it doesn't come. But we know that Donald Trump is going down. Whether it's whether he goes down before the midterms or after the midterms, he cannot survive all the sweat hanging over him. He may survive for a little while because, as I've mentioned several times, there is a a guideline in the Justice Department that says no president can be indicted. And secondly, the the Republicans who are in control in Congress, they're not doing anything about him. They're not investigating Donald Trump. They're not going to do that because they are implicit in whatever the fuck he's implicit in. They're going to save his ass. The Republicans think that Donald Trump is going to cut them another tax cut so they can get even richer. I don't think I don't think so, at least not before the midterms. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show, and I thank everybody for tuning in to my show. I, I always appreciate it. I love doing the show. I love telling you what I know, and I love for you to tell me what you know, and I love all the accolades that you people give me, whether it's on my show, my books, my musicianship. You know, I try to do so much to try to keep myself busy. Uh, I have a son in college, so uh, feel free to try to <laughs> feel free to send anything that's financial my way to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, sexual harassment is an academic. We got to do something about that. So I'm going to thank everybody for tuning in 
to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, have a great evening. Have a great evening. Have a great morning. Have a great afternoon. Have a great weekend. Wherever you might find yourself listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show, you don't always have to listen live. You don't always have to listen when I'm on, but I do appreciate it when you do because there's so many podcasts and uh, so many other shows and episodes of the George Wilder Jr. Show around, all around the internet, even right here at Block Talk Radio, that you can listen to anytime you want to, day, night, morning, whatever it is. You can always listen to the George Wilder Jr. Show in your car. I mean, it, it's we're all over the place, all over the, all over the world. So there's no excuse <laughs> not to listen to the George Wilder Jr. Show. All right, everybody, thanks, and have a great evening, morning, or whatever. But always stay safe and totally vote blue. Vote blue. Every Republican out of office. Hatred from the mighty and the mighty from the small.